Today's episode of Binge Mode Weekly on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They are now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities, like New York and Los Angeles. And they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh hot meals to hospitals and clinics, fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants in business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us. And you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate. We're trying to raise 250000 And if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's ringer.com slash WCK. You said yourself we're under special order from Darth Sidious to eliminate Ahsoka Tano and any other clone who disobeys Order 66. Just keep on talking a little bit longer. Jesse. Jesse, listen to me. We've known each other a long time. If we don't get this right, we will be the ones committing treason, not her. I'm warning you, Commander. Bitch mode contains adult content and spoilers. Commander Rex, you're in violation of Order 66. I accuse you of treason against the Grand Army of the Republic. You'll be demoted in rank from Commander and subject to execution, along with the traitor Ahsoka Tana. Ready? Yeah, it didn't much like being a Commander anyway. Company, ready! And now, binge mode. And welcome to Binge Mode Star Wars. (laughs) They hated it. Proudly a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Mallory Rubin, editor-in-chief of TheRinger.com. What a great, great, great website. It's fucking great. Really is great. Joining me today, now that he's freed Maul from his restraint, which will definitely not backfire in any way at any point, I'm sure it will be fine. Ask the man <laughs> to cause a distraction and he will cause a distraction. It's Ringer Senior Creative, your Jedi Master, Jason Concepcion. Maul, I mean Mal. Oh, wow. Don't make me regret this. <laughs> it's a special one-week return to Binge Mode Star Wars here yes. on Binge Mode Weekly. Where, as we social distance amid the coronavirus crisis, we'll be coming to you once a week to cover a series of rotating topics, revisiting some past favorites as we are doing today, and diving into some new stories as well, while also getting to work on the next 
full binge mode projects, more info coming soon. Please subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or just wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us. Give us the five-star ratings. or We'll activate your inhibitor chip. Please also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is just for binge mode fans and which is an excellent place to share your favorite odes to Morai. Sweet little Bobby. Love Morai. <laughs> also, <laughs> if you're looking to spice up your work from home wardrobe before zooming into your first day on the job with the Empire, please head to the ringer.com slash shop to check out our binge mode merch. Pretty strict about their uniforms usually, but you know, mix it up. Last time on Binge Mode Weekly, we answered your comlink inquiries on another Ask the Underscore mailbag. And today, we're diving deep, deep <laughs> into the final four episodes of Star Wars, The Clone Wars, the really, really miraculous concluding arc of season seven and, of course, the series as a whole. As always, spoiler warning. While today's primary focus is Clone Wars Season 7, Episodes 9, 10, 11, and 12, we're going to be talking about all of it. We're going to be talking about all the Clone Wars that, you know, we love a wide canon. We're going to talk about that wide Star Wars canon. Infinitely wide. Rebels talk, some movie talk, all of it. You've been warned. So pull up your gray hood because it's time to bury our lightsabers. Mal. You are the one I wish to speak with. That's great. Because it's time to offer up a brief refresher on what actually happens in the final four episodes of Clone Wars. By heading to a podcast so you're far, far away and queuing up the opening crawl. Episode nine, a.k.a. part one. Old friends not forgotten. I'm already <laughs> crying. <laughs> to steady stretch Republic forces. Jedi Council dispatches its members to far-off battlefields again, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> My darling Obi-Wan, handsome as ever, and Anakin join Commander Cody's division, fight a brutal engagement on a suspension bridge. Anakin uses a ruse. And he's having a blast doing it, to be honest. I mean, Anakin, showboating just a little bit. <laughs> he loves to flex. Our guy loves to flex. Uses, showboating a little bit. Uses this ruse to locate the tactical droid controlling separatist armies. The rudderless droid soldiers, as usual, are wiped out. The Republic command ship receives a sensitive communique from Ahsoka, who was last seen quitting the Jedi Order. Standing with Bo-Katan, she brings news of Maul, who has been located on Mandalore in the city of Sundari. Bo asks for the help of the Republic to lay siege to Mandalore. Obi-Wan knows the Council will be reluctant. Assaulting Mandalore would break a century's worth of treaties. Anakin takes Ahsoka to meet Rex and the rest of the troops. Before the Council can send a decision about Mandalore, word arrives. Coruscant is under attack. Anakin and Obi-Wan have to go defend the capital. Meanwhile, Anakin decides to divide up 501st. Yeah. <laughs> can you divide up Vader's fist? That's a, I guess you can. <laughs> and promote Rex to lead the Mandalorian assault group. My dude Rex did great in his performance review, really earned it. Ahsoka will accompany that group. Officially, she'll be an advisor. Unofficially, 
She is the assault group's leader. Anakin returns Ahsoka's lightsabers in a really touching, <laughs> lovely sequence. Kept them in a really nice box. Has obviously been traveling around with them. Just They're blue case. now, by the way. You know, love a little retcon. When they meet again, years from now, Anakin will go by another name. Bo and Ahsoka begin their invasion of Mandalore. Prime Minister Almec Maul's stooge rallies his forces for the defense. This fucking They meet guy. the invaders in the air and a absolutely incredible set piece battle follows. Awesome. Bo and her patriots head for the throne room while Ahsoka searches for Maul, unwittingly walking into a trap. Bo blasts her way through Almec's guards and defeats the prime minister in single combat. In a tunnel system under the city, Ahsoka's clone detachment is picked off one by one. I mean, our dude Maul lived in a trash heap for eons. The tunnels are nothing to him, okay? It's nothing. <laughs> Ahsoka finds herself surrounded by the hostile Mandalorians. And then, is that Maul's music? <laughs> our guy appears out of the shadows. And what does he say? Iconically. I was expecting Kenobi. <laughs> Why are you here? Listen, I was also expecting Kenobi, but... <laughs> well, you got him! <laughs> Part two, Phantom Apprentice. Fucking awesome episode. Yes. Ahsoka sends a distress signal to her troops. Meanwhile, Maul is still confounded by her presence on Mandalore when Ahsoka tells him that Obi-Wan and Anakin had a more important engagement. <laughs> Maul, who would normally be deeply wounded by such a statement, yeah, is actually riveted, springs yes. the whole mind into action. He wonders if the moment may be upon us. That's the quote. Maul is sure that the end of the Republic and the Jedi is near. Ah, but what will take its place? Well, of course, our good friend Palpy, Darth Sidious. Ahsoka's soldiers rescue her here, but Maul escapes. In a Zoom call, Kenobi tells Bo and Ahsoka that the council suspects that Sidious, that Ahsoka has just heard about, is the Sith Lord behind the Civil War. It's always great when the Jedi catch up. G guess what? You're right. <laughs> Couple years too late, but wow, you, you nailed sure you it don't on that. You need to meditate on it some more, guys. <laughs> you hit it on the head, folks. Congratulations. <laughs> His true identity, somehow, still unknown. Unbelievable. <laughs> In a private conversation, Kenobi tells Ahsoka that the council has asked Anakin to spy on Chancellor Palpatine. Ahsoka, like Anakin, when the directive was given to him, is taken aback. Kenobi asks her to talk to Anakin, admitting that, quote, the council isn't always right. Wow. Yeah. Mind blower there, big guy. Great luck here from my guy. Yeah. <laughs> After an attack on clone forces, Maul takes away Trooper Jesse. Jesse's role in the story is not done yet. Raving, he uses the force to pull information from Jesse's mind with ease. Ease. Meanwhile, Bo and Ahsoka are questioning Almec about Maul's plan. And like basically every other scene in a Mandalore prison. Yes. Somebody dies within 30 seconds. <laughs> it's unbelievable stuff. <laughs> Gotta work on the security, guys. What is going on? This is not like a some pickpocket. I don't know. You build the entire fucking planet and every structure in glass. What do you expect at a certain point? I'm just throwing that out there. Just throwing it out there. Almec, before he is killed, says the mall has been 
preoccupied, stricken by a sense that something momentous is about to happen. He wished to lure Kenobi to Mandalore along with someone else. And with really impeccable timing. Unbelievable timing. (laughs) Car Saxon, one of Maul's Mandalorians, shoots Almec from afar. And with his dying breath, Almec whispers the name to Ahsoka. Sky Walker. Maul rallies his Mandalorian supporters, telling them that now is the time to seize the planet for themselves. He surprises Bo, Rex, and Ahsoka in the throne room. And as a show of good faith, he returns Jesse. Then Maul's Mandalorian forces (laughs) attack the city. Rex and Bo depart, leaving Ahsoka alone to fight Maul. Maul makes a pitch. The time of the Jedi, a failed and flawed organization, has passed. The Republic is finished, even if people can't see it yet. Join forces with me, he says, and together we can defeat Sidious. And she's willing to agree on one condition. Yes. Maul must reveal the reason for his interest in Anakin. Anakin, Maul says, has been groomed by Sidious, not to bring balance to the Force, but to become his new apprentice, to destroy balance. Ahsoka refuses to believe it, and an astonishing duel ensues. In what is an incredible example of Ahsoka's ability, Mm -hmm. she fights Maul to a standstill. The fight runs from the throne room to scaffolding high above the city. Finally, she bests him, but saves his life before he can plummet to the ground and Maul is captured. I guess we're not going to give any bells to Prime Minister Almec, huh? Almec! (laughs) (laughs) No bells for Almec. He was like a sock puppet for Maul the whole time, and then he got shot in jail. It's not like... Not Not much of a legacy. cover himself in glory, yeah. (laughs) Part three. Shattered. Bo's Mandalorians, with the help of the clones, are victorious. And Ahsoka debriefs the council. Maul, she says, is in custody. She and Rex will head to Coruscant to deliver him. She's done her duty. Ah, but as a citizen, she tells Yoda, not a Jedi. And in classic petty Mace Windu bullshit here, they're like, all right, well, you're not a Jedi, then we can't tell you anything, citizen. Come on. (laughs) Fucking Mace. Do not tell Ahsoka about their specific suspicions that the Chancellor is behind the events and is attempting to consolidate power for this nefarious purpose. Ahsoka, in turn, does not tell them what Maul told her about Anakin and his path to becoming Darth Sidious's apprentice. A lot of things could have gone differently here, folks. When Yoda asks if she wants to pass a message on to Anakin, she says, crushingly, that she will tell him herself when they see each other again. Maul is transferred to Ahsoka's custody in an ancient metal container purpose-built to imprison Force users. This is cool. It's pretty cool. En route to Coruscant, Ahsoka feels a massive disturbance in the Force, as at that moment, Sidious is striking down the Jedi that were sent to arrest him, including Mace Windu, and Anakin is finally and irrevocably turned to the dark side. Seconds later, Palpatine triggers Order 66. Careful how you're using that word irrevocably, my guy. Stay tuned. Just saying. Sure. (laughs) Rex and the clones turn on Ahsoka. But Rex, muttering 
pushing, finding the strength to say something over and over again about fives, hesitates just long enough to give Ahsoka the opportunity that she needs to cut her way out and escape. Rex snaps back to what the inhibitor chip is ordering him, tells the clones to kill Maul, and the hunt for Ahsoka begins. Ahsoka frees Maul from his prison. He realizes instantly what's occurred. Sidious's plan has finally come to fruition. She tells Maul that, listen, I freed you not to team up, but because I need you to just cause chaos, cause a distraction. And they go their separate ways. That's a tough one right there. Letting Maul go, very rough. With the help of three precious little droids, bobbies, sweet little angels who didn't deserve what they got. They got brutally killed. No quicker way to get me to turn on the clones than having the clones murder droids needlessly. Before their murders, though, Ahsoka comes to them for help, looks into the files pertaining to clone trooper CT5555, a.k.a. Fives. The inhibitor chips Ahsoka learns from Rex's report on Fives, the other Kaminoan information he's able to access, are what's causing the clones to turn on their former leaders, their former allies. Ahsoka and the droids capture Rex and bring him into the medical bay for some... I have to say, rushed and and risky surgery. Extremely hasty. We are talking about brain surgery here, but desperate times, I guess. The rest of the clones are cutting their way into the med bay. Ahsoka holds them off for as long as she can as the droids struggle to close the door. She and Rex, now awake, free of his chip, turn them back. Rex tells Ahsoka that the clones have been ordered to kill the Jedi for treason. (sighs) On to part four, the final installment of Clone Wars victory and death. Clones cut through the door, but Ahsoka unracks his blasters, set to stun, which is really sweet, too much for them. They head for the hangar bay in hopes of finding a shuttle. Meanwhile, Maul, sans lightsabers, is rampaging through the ship, eventually destroying its hyperdrive generators. The craft, now crippled, emerges from hyperspace. Trapped in the gravitational field of a nearby moon, the ship begins a slow motion. Crash. In the hangar bay, Ahsoka and Rex find their path blocked by dozens and dozens of Rex's clone soldier brothers. Rex just breaks down emotionally, just pained at the knowledge that his own brothers will stop at absolutely nothing to kill him and Ahsoka. They will gladly die if it means carrying out Order 66. And that gives Ahsoka an idea. With Ahsoka pretending to be Rex's Prisoner, they bluff their way into the hangar and Rex pulls the old, actually, she's not technically a Jedi, guys, card. She left the order, folks. (gasps) Love when the outcome of Order 66 briefly hinges on semantics. Yeah. (laughs) The clones are, of course, suspicious and onto the bullshit pretty much right away. Just then, Ahsoka's droid pals hack the floor of the hangar bay, dropping many of the clones to a sub-level far below evening the odds. And I will just say quickly, pretty intense after the whole, I don't want to hurt any of them. <laughs> right, I know. Broken legs, broken back. Certainly some of them must have died. Yeah. <laughs> but before Ahsoka and Rex can fight their way to the shuttle, Maul climbs aboard and Ahsoka has to make the choice to let him escape. She is holding the craft back with the force. Incredible display of power. Like Ray. Trying yes. to save, trying to save, air quotes, Chewie in Rise of Skywalker, but has to make the choice to let him go so that she can instead focus on Rex. It is an incredible moment. Ahsoka and Rex are still on the Republic ship as it enters the moon's atmosphere and begins to tear apart. 
Rex manages to find a Y-Wing. But as the command ship lists violently, Rex and Ahsoka are separated. But after an amazing acrobatic freefall, Ahsoka manages to get aboard the Y-Wing. I don't need your stinking jetpack. Later, Rex preps the ship as Ahsoka stands vigil over the graves of the fallen clone soldiers. Really, really devastating shot of all of their helmets on the spikes marking their graves. After all their efforts to save them, they died anyway. After a moment of reflection, Grey Cloak pulled up. She drops her lightsaber. Much later, an unknown amount of time later, after snow has blanketed the landscape, Imperial stormtroopers investigate the crash. A figure clad in black, Darth Vader, strides across the snow. Amazing. Seeing something, he kneels and finds Ahsoka's saber. <sighs> At that moment, Morai, a convoy bird, flies high above. He takes her saber and walks off, and it will be many years before he and his former apprentice meet again. Chills! <laughs> Man, give us those no's for all the fallen clones and all the fallen Jedi. No! Jason? Yes? You're a good podcaster. Thank you. So is every one of those men down there. They may be willing to die, but I am not the one who's going to kill them. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's search our feelings and use the force. The defining theme of this episode is forging a new path. Let's start before we get into all of the plot specifics from this final four-part mini-movie by talking a bit about the Clone Wars experience as a whole. You know, on the occasion of its conclusion, it is worth taking a moment to reflect on when and how Clone Wars began, how long it has been in Star Wars fans' lives, and how really masterfully it has evolved from where it started into the shared experience we all just enjoyed. Remember, Clone Wars began under George Lucas's stewardship back in 2008, before Disney's Lucasfilm purchase, years before, before decanonization, before so much of what has come to define the modern period of Star Wars fandom. Our guy George first saw the plan for the TV launch, and guess what, folks? He hated it. Absolutely hated it. Hated it. Hated it, Jason. Absolutely loathed it. He decided to take the first few episodes, package them, and kick off with a movie instead. Mm. How'd that go for everyone? (laughs) We covered this previously in Star Wars Binge Road. It has a truly astounding 18% fresh score on Rotten Tomatoes. That is astonishing. Yeah, that's a stinky as stinky, a character in the film. But as Howard Rothman, the then president of Lucas Licensing, told the New York Times' Douglas Cuenca in 2008, sometimes George works in strange ways. It's a weird, like, you know, like the animation is different than the animation you're used to with Clone Wars proper. It's just everything about it is pretty cool, actually, now to think about how the animation really evolved over time. It's miraculous. Clone Wars, thankfully, survived that film's panning, and it also survived an initial cancellation after the first five-season run, which was on Cartoon Network, of course, because when Disney took over the IP, Disney wanted to get going on Rebels, was going to keep Clone Wars as canon, but didn't want to keep making it. Then, miraculously, we got season six on Netflix, and then another 
cancellation, which Clone Wars also managed to survive. So season seven on Disney Plus really did feel like a miracle to Clone Wars fans when it was announced. And Dave Filoni, who we've talked about a lot over the course of Binge Mode Star Wars, really the godfather of much of Star Wars TV now, worked on The Mandalorian with Johnny Favs, recently-ish concluded Star Wars Rebels, et cetera, et cetera. And he told Entertainment Weekly, I tried to do things that honored what we had been doing on this series when I was working with George Lucas. At the same time, I knew this had to have a sense of completion. And the final four episodes that we want to focus on today really are a masterclass in that balancing act in the effort to honor the show's roots and the wider Star Wars tradition that Clone Wars is inextricably a part of, while also simultaneously putting a bow on something that is, I think we agree, a really singular special experience. And this season, you know, you think about how it was marketed, a war left unfinished until now. And that's really, really right. You know, this entire journey, this part of the canon, certain character arcs for key figures would not feel complete without these episodes. The early season choices may have left some of us kind of scratching our heads and waiting for the real stuff to kick in. But the Bad Batch arc, the Rafa Trace spice running stuff, that at least underlined what Filoni had already said. This conclusion was going to overlap with the story of Revenge of the Sith. Yes, but his goal was not just to show us a different version of things that we already knew about. It was to focus on Rex and Ahsoka, the clones, and an essential Star Wars protagonist and fill in a new part of the galaxy for us to forge their own storytelling path as this series has throughout its history. Absolutely. As Filoni said to EW ahead of the finale, quote, I have to be aware of what's happening in time and space around the story I'm telling, given that we are so close, but I don't have a lot of desire to tell any of those scenes necessarily again, unless it's from the point of view of characters that we need to see it happen. I'm curious how you feel about that, Jay, after the fact, because obviously when we were doing our initial Clone Wars discussion during the binge Star Wars run, and we were anticipating season seven. We talked a lot about how, and I don't mean to project my personal cartoon Obi-Wan obsession onto, onto you, but we did talk a lot about how thrilling it was to think about getting those key moments in Anakin's fall, the moments between Anakin and Obi-Wan, Palpy from Filoni's perspective, crafted expertly by his hands. I really was craving those the entire time, waiting for them. And then at the end, I found that it felt completely right as it was delivered without those and that getting all of the moments that surround it, that actually was the exact formula to give us that sense of completion that we were seeking. The early parts of, of, you know, parts one, two, and three, there is such a sense of foreboding and menace you know what's going to happen. And even though you don't quite see it from the angle maybe that you were expecting, it's devastating when Order 66 is given, when you know the Jedi are falling. And I thought that the way that the showrunners and Filoni told this story visually was some of the most interesting visual storytelling in Clone Wars. There were a lot of these really pensive, long shots of Ahsoka standing on the bridge as, as you know, they're watching the ship go through hyperspace, walking Maul's sarcophagus onto the ship. And it's these quiet moments that should be 
moments suffused with this energy of victory. As Ahsoka even says, it seems like the war is close to being won. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan is fighting Grievous. Maybe they can put an end to this. And to know that that's not the case, it's actually been lost and it was lost long ago. And now you're they're going to find out about it. It's just tragic and devastating. Just wonderfully told. I, I agree. Ultimately, Ahsoka and Rex's experience with Order 66 is actually the perfect choice for this show and for this conclusion because it is tethered to this seminal moment in the franchise, something in which we are already deeply invested. But it's also an area where there are actually a lot of holes in our understanding of what key characters experienced, of how certain things totally clicked into place, how people got from point A to B, or maybe why they weren't at point C, perhaps more importantly. And of course, Sith could never show that all in the time that the movie played out. Also, of course, Ahsoka is not in the primary films. It's so it's so strange. I was thinking about this so much while watching this to think what a huge presence she is just in Star Wars now in my consciousness. I know. And to and it's almost unimaginable to like go back and think about the prequels and and think that she wasn't there for that stuff. Like at the time that I saw them, she just did not exist. She feels like such a part of the fabric of the story. Listen, we just devoted I don't know how many hours to covering Star Wars. We love Star Wars. We love the Star Wars movies. But it is almost like, you know, in Iron Man, when Tony Stark is layering all of the papers, all of the pages of the design for the suit that he's building, and you can only see the full picture when every single sheet is stacked on top of each other properly. Like, that's kind of what Ahsoka feels like. If you take Ahsoka away, you take one of those sheets away and the whole picture doesn't click into place. And that's what Clone Wars and Rebels and the other parts of the canon, her novel, where she is such a central figure, facilitate that complete picture. In that way, while the end of Clone Wars felt absolutely unique, it was much like the rest of the story in terms of what it was inspired by, a desire to at once connect and diverge to further explore key figures involved in an essential moment in galactic history that the movies just did not allow us to see, as Filoni told EW, quote, something I've wanted to do for a long time is to have the end of Clone Wars be this coinciding story that frames where some of these people that weren't in the films are. Because I think that alone is a valid question. Where are these guys? Ahsoka seemed like she was important. So was she invited to join the Sith? Where was Rex? I felt like that needed an answer because they were, after so many episodes of stories, obviously such a big part of Anakin and Obi-Wan's life. Yes. If they're a big enough, important enough thing going on at the same time, you go, yep, I get that. They were busy. He's always right on it, isn't he? Yep. All right. So let's talk about Ahsoka and Anakin yes. for a little while here. What were Ahsoka and Rex busy doing? What were all of these characters busy doing? They were busy with events unfolding and what amounts to, again, a movie in its own right. These four episodes, the season is divided into these three arcs and the final chunk, these four episodes, are presented as deliberately parts of a whole. They're labeled part one, part two, part three, part four, much like the films are treated, episode one parts of a trilogy that you're meant to consider individually and together. And Filoni wrote these episodes and he crafted them with such clear care. You know, think back now to well before season seven actually started when he was going out of his way then to say, I wrote those final four. I care about those final four. Those are going to be something special. It's kind of amazing to think about. I kind of called his shot there. I like it. Babe Ruthian. I really respect it. 
The advanced animation, the visual palette that you mentioned earlier, really, really took this season to new visual heights. It is just gorgeous. And then the score, Kevin Kiner's score, is just absolutely enchanting throughout. It's so exciting to hear the very, very familiar tones from John Williams's iconic score. And then these spins, these deliberate tweaks and adjustments Really, really cool how many echoes and callbacks there are in terms of lines of dialogue, actual plot points, music, all of it. A Lucasfilm limited production branding that marked the beginning of each installment as a special Star Wars experience. This thing they want you to know, the prime you for as you're sitting down to watch, you're in for a treat. It again reinforces that duality. This project at once is deeply connected to Star Wars history, to what came before it, but it is going to stand on its own as this unique thing. And it was impossible to ignore that every episode title was rife with meaning. Yes. Episode nine's Old Friends Not Forgotten is one of the least coded. The intent is just right there, obvious. This is going to be a chance for us and the characters to reunite with the people who meant so much to them, and it's not going to last. But that won't make it any less important. And in fact, it'll make it more meaningful and more bittersweet for us knowing what's to come. It actually just enhances the experience. Yes. Of course, no character better reflects that than Anakin and Ahsoka. Sir, we received a transmission for someone using your subspace frequency. Fulcrum. Huge moment. This is incredible. (laughs) I got chills. As fans of Ahsoka's novel and Star Wars Rebels know, Fulcrum is her call sign, her code name during her time as a secret operative for the Republic. Others use the moniker over the course of the story, including Saw Gerrera, whom Anakin initially thinks is the person contacting him after receiving the Admiral's message. I love him. Lies! Deception! (laughs) Mal's uh, special dude, Kalos, and Cassian Andor. Love my guy. But hearing it referred to by you, Lauren, here as Anakin subspace frequency indicates that Ahsoka chooses a name later as a nod to her former master. Pretty incredible, these small little touches that make Clone Wars soar and show how deeply the show understands the characters, their bonds, and the story at large. As is, of course, Anakin's response to seeing Ahsoka, and he sees her first in hologram form, and it's just really, really, really moving. His eyes widen, his jaw slacks. Like, it would be comical if it weren't so touching. She says, hello, master. It's been a while. Remember how her decision to leave the Jedi Order crushed him. Remember what their bond meant to him. And as we've talked about a lot, how it humanized him, how it made him better. Yes. And he can like barely choke out her name here. It is really, really wonderful to behold. But I think it's also notable that if you look at the person standing next to Anakin, Obi-Wan, his expression bears not only tenderness, but almost concern. He knows how perilous Anakin can be when he's in some sort of state of finding himself on the emotional brink. Their bond, Obi-Wan knows, is that meaningful? What impact will it have? And they start to talk about what seeing her means to Anakin. And they're not having the kind of, here's what's in my heart conversation, obviously, but we can parse the subtext with ease. Anakin says to Obi-Wan, it all makes sense now. Obi-Wan says what? If Ahsoka hadn't left the order, then she wouldn't have been where she needed to be. 
That's one way to look at it, I suppose. It's the only way to look at it. And this is pretty gutting. You know, this is an insight into Anakin's stubbornness, of course, the kind of fixed thinking that ultimately will contribute to his fall, but also to that heart, the heart inside of him, the precious bonds that inform so much of how he thinks he still cannot bear thinking that Ahsoka chose to leave him. And this is how it has to be for him. There has to be another explanation that shifts the agency to another factor. Obi-Wan's reserve and calm in this moment is absolutely confounding to Anakin. I thought you'd be more excited. Yes. He says about the prospect of capturing and locating Maul, who has killed two of the people most important to Obi-Wan, his master Qui-Gon Jinn, and his love, the Duchess Satine. R.I.P. to a true one. Obi-Wan, of course, will finally deal the killing blow in Rebels, but he's not like Anakin in that way, focused on one person rushing off. He opts for method over emotion, and I think that's a great way to think about Obi-Wan in contrast to Maul, who can never stop thinking about Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan has much larger concerns. Yes. And that doesn't mean he doesn't love Satine. That's right. One of the few times he ran off, of course, was to try to save Satine from Maul, and that ended very badly. Though, of course, he does not regret trying, nor do we, because it gave us a great story. But it's not his base disposition. He is methodical. He is careful. Ahsoka and Anakin? Well, they feel completely trapped by those kinds of constraints. When Ahsoka emerges from the ship and Anakin sees her in the flesh again for the first time, the Force theme plays. Think of the moments throughout Star Wars when you've heard the Force theme. It's a recognition of her import, of her standing, and it is absolutely amazing, as is her utter hand wave to Anakin. We'll have to catch up another time. (laughs) It's like She's all about her business. Focus. It's not... On one level, the really emotionally satisfying, like, let's hug and embrace and weep in each other's arms moment that you might be craving. But something about this actually feels really right and really true to her nature. And similarly, as much as we want Obi-Wan to charge into battle, slay Maul here, avenge Satine, his stance is deliberate. And that deliberateness is a deliberate contrast, as Jason was saying, to Anakin and Ahsoka's. He murdered their ruler, Bo-Katan says, of Maul, while pitching a joint Republic effort to free Mandalore. My sister, I thought she meant something to you. That's just really rough stuff here. She did, Obi-Wan says, and still does, but I cannot allow my feelings to cloud my judgment. The council will decide what our course of action will be. Anakin can't fathom this and hasn't ever been able to understand how Obi-Wan operates in this capacity. That's what makes Anakin special and different. It is also, of course, what will lead to his fall as Palpatine will warp that love in his heart and turn it, transform it into greed, hubris, using Anakin's desire to save Padme as that tether that will pull Anakin into the dark side. But as always, we have to ask, what if it had been different? What if these instincts inside of Anakin had been nurtured by the light side instead of corrupted by the dark? What if Obi-Wan and Anakin had been able to break through here together? What if Ahsoka had been able to stay by Anakin's side? He wouldn't have gone over to the dark side. That's what would have happened. But of course, we know that that is not what happened. And that's because of the Sith. As Ahsoka readies To leave Mandalore, the Council calls Obi-Wan and Anakin away to Coruscant to rescue the Chancellor from Grievous. 
We won't see what happens next, though. We will be treated to a painful download from Obi-Wan via hologram after Anakin kills Dooku and is put on Palpy's spying duty. But we know what happens. Palpatine sucking Anakin further into his web until he's fully encased, not only in darkness, but in that black suit that will come to define him. Agonizingly. One of Ahsoka's comments here is at least something that you could interpret as fodder for Anakin's turn. I understand that as usual, you're playing politics, she says to Obi-Wan when he tells her that they can't go to Mandalore. This is why people have lost faith in the Jedi. I had to until I was reminded of what the order means to people who truly need us. Now, to his credit, Anakin in this moment is not like, yeah, you're right, fuck the Jedi. He finds a solution, splitting his battalion, making Rex a commander, and sending those soldiers with Ahsoka to fight Maul. And of course, not blaming Obi-Wan here, the history, the political ramifications with Mandalore are real considerations, and the need to respond to a capital attack is also a real thing. Yes, absolutely. But the central question here, the heart of this matter, the Jedi's role as soldiers versus peacekeepers, as Stooges of the government versus an independent body acting of its own accord to pursue what it knows is right is central to what is unfolding here, as it will be to Anakin's fall. That's not fair, Obi-Wan says. I'm not trying to be a soaker response. And it is a reminder that the kind of dissent that Anakin sometimes spawned against the strictures of the order were not inherently actually his failing. The challenging that apparatus was important. But as Ahsoka and the path that she will forge remind us, you can find another way to do that. You can challenge authority. You can challenge stasis without losing yourself in the process. And you can, in fact, become an elemental part of the fight for good, a leader in your own right while you're doing so. Leadership requires many qualities and fighting for a Jedi requires, of course, lightsabers. Hell yeah. We'll talk about Ahsoka's blades more today in the eight, but seeing Anakin return them to her it's just a, like an incredible moment, as is it's great. the touching realization that he just has those with him. He has those close to him. Very special. <laughs> a bridge back to the past, but also a reflection on how much things have changed. They belong in her hands. They belong to her, and that feels right. There are also objects she left behind once and will soon do again. They're part of her story with Anakin, and she can't carry that story with her moving forward, at least not in the same way. And their parting is... So sweet Ugh. and so sad. Yeah. Contrast with the knowledge that this will be the last time that they see each other in the same way. Anakin, she calls after him. Good luck. He smiles. And that's Ugh. the last time they'll see each other until they face off as Fulcrum Invader in Rebels at the end of season two of that series. Though they will, of course, dominate each other's thoughts in between. What if she went with him? What if he had gone with her? What if they'd been able to speak later after hologram, Obi-Wan and Ahsoka's exchange while she was on Mandalore. She asks if Anakin can reinforce him. She's always asking about him. Always. After Obi-Wan stresses how essential it is to capture them all and learn what they can about Sidious following Dooku's death. The special assignment download uh, does not go so well. Ahsoka knows that what they've asked Anakin to do is not going to be okay with him. They told him to spy on the Supreme Chancellor. Why? And... Her instincts, of course, are spot on here. The Chancellor has been a great friend and mentor to Anakin, she says to Obi-Wan's hologram here. I can't imagine he's happy about this. No, he's not, says Obi-Wan. So perhaps it's best that you do speak with him. Now, 
as we know from Sith, Obi-Wan has already had his version of this chat with Anakin. It's not enough. It's not going to work. He knows that Ahsoka might be able to break through in a way he couldn't, that she might have a better chance, specifically because of her view on all of this, on the Jedi Order, on the Republic, because he knows, too, the value that relationship holds in Anakin's heart, in his life. She can't defend the Council's actions, but that's not what Obi-Wan is asking her to do. He knows that the fact that she can't is actually why she'll be able to reach Anakin in a way that Obi-Wan could not actually feign to do. Speak to a truth inside of them both, two free thinkers who want to find their own path. But battle calls on all fronts, as it so often does. And as Ahsoka is forced to flee, she turns back to Obi-Wan and says, tell Anakin. And he says, I will. And it is just gutting because that is never going to happen. And they came so close to having that conversation. And in a lot of ways, so much of the dramatic punch of Clone Wars are these moments when you realize how close they came to discovering Absolutely. Order 66, to, to foiling Sidious. As Ahsoka and Bo engage in a fascinating conversation to consider in the light of what we know the future holds for Mandalore and what a different path maybe could have been achieved, quote, I wish I was good at something other than war. Your people need a new kind of leader, Ahsoka says. My sister tried that. I never understood her idealism. Ahsoka asks Rex if he was able to contact Master Skywalker. He was at the meeting when I left to get you. We're talking about moments, seconds, in one of the sequences <sighs> that most fully connects us to the events of Sith, with us witnessing actual exchanges between Mace and Yoda and Mundi that we have seen that are etched into our mind, but also the moments that occurred all around, like, like panning out into a 3D star map. Ahsoka walks in, helping to reinforce that she was there all along. Man, unbelievable. But Anakin is already gone. Off on Mace's orders to tell Palpatine the Grievous is on Utapau. Then the war could be over soon, Ahsoka says. And of course... Heartbreaking stuff. She's right, just not in the way that any of them want her to be. Crushing. Anakin's fall is imminent, as is the Emperor's rise. And in classic Jedi fashion, as we noted earlier, Mace really... Just come on, dude. Fucks up royally here by Heismaning Ahsoka <laughs> because she's like, I'm not gonna come back to the Jedi. And he's like, All right, citizen, then I won't elaborate on Palpatine and this business about the Chancellor. What if he had spoken to her candidly there after all that she has done and all that she has proved? She's literally just got done leading Republic troops in battle. Unfucking believable here. What if, though, let's be fair on both sides, she shared what she had heard yeah. from Maul about Anakin? What if any of this had gone differently? Would things have changed? Ahsoka, more to say, have you? <laughs> Yoda says. A message for Skywalker, perhaps? And she does consider it briefly before saying, no, Master, thank you. I'll tell him myself when I see him. Just... Gut punch after gut punch here. All of these, yeah. all of these moments where if you just shift something by a degree, the people who we love could be together, be happy. One of the most intense and awful moments of this arc comes midway through Shattered when Ahsoka standing on the deck of the, her command ship as it's going through hyperspace, hears Anakin's fall as it happens. The Sith audio is dubbed in 
and we know what it means. And Ahsoka knows enough to tell Rex that something's happening to Anakin. Anakin's in trouble and something awful has happened. But she, of course, quite naturally, doesn't quite understand it or understand how to process what's happened. It is unambiguously based on the rest of her arc that she does not fully process this here. And this denial, while absolutely understandable, again, it was seconds, is more fascinating than ever now that we know Maul specifically told her Sidious has been grooming Anakin to be his apprentice for years. Throughout her novel, which takes place after she fights Maul at the Siege of Mandalore, she thinks about Anakin reaching out to him, using the Force, dismayed that she can't sense him, can't feel him. She doesn't know if he's alive or dead. She does know that he has fallen. Similarly, in Rebels, when she and Vader first cross paths, we can see how his presence disrupts and absolutely emotionally destroys her. She knows on some level who and what it is, but she can't process it. She can't square the person she knew with the person that was standing before her. Anakin's vision haunts her in the Jedi Temple on Mothal. You abandoned me. You failed me. Do you know what I've become? Even when she stares down the unignorable fact on Malachor, she's desperate to believe she can reach her friend, her teacher beneath the mask. And when that mask shatters and she sees Anakin's actual eye and hears him call her name, she calls his too. Anakin, it is heartbreaking. Matched only in sorrow by their inability to push through together and the awful duel that then unfolds oh my god my heart is racing right now anakin of course is the chosen one the frodo of this story in certain respects but ahsoka has always been filoni's gandalf figure the wise guide capable of seeing the world with a unique and refined sort of clarity and her absolutely iconic rebels concluding shot Features a clear, clear yes. Gandalf homage as she is standing, carrying a white staff, wearing white robes and armed, as we know, with white lightsabers. Ahsoka the Wise, Ahsoka the White. When Ahsoka's line to Rey in Rise of Skywalker led to fan dismay and outcry that her inclusion in that sequence confirmed her as dead, Filoni posted a drawing, his own drawing, of Ahsoka and Gandalf together on social media, along with the line, people thought I was dead too. Look how that turned out. He has always linked Ahsoka and Gandalf deliberately. And here, he does it again at the end of Clone Wars, which of course is before Rebels in the canonical timeline. So before Gandalf the White, who do you have? Gandalf the Grey. And what do we get here? Ahsoka the Grey. We see Ahsoka cloak herself in gray, covering her head, covering this moment in her life, this part of her identity. Gandalf, during his time as the Grey, went by a name that feels so apt for Ahsoka here, the Grey Pilgrim. A wanderer, a new journey awaits for her here, a new path that she has to forge. And it's one that she unlike so many others in the galaxy, is actually brave and bold enough to see. The final scene of the arc is a perfect spine-tingling conclusion to Incredible. the journey and emblematic of this kind of wonderfully patient, paced, evocative visual storytelling that we have seen throughout these four episodes. Yes. We see Imperial probe droids. We see snowtroopers. Snow covering much of the planet. Clearly, time has passed. We don't know how much. 
But any interpretation tugs at the heartstrings. We know it, it hasn't been days. Right. It hasn't been weeks. It may be years because Anakin's first days as Vader arc is established in the Star Wars Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, 25-issue comic run. And clearly, the Imperial apparatus is up and running here. Right. Clones, recall, were used early into the Imperial run before being replaced by stormtroopers. Maybe a few years has passed and Anakin and Ahsoka have yet to face off again. And the sensation that Anakin experienced as he looks up at Morai, who we will talk about later today in the Jedi Temple, is something he can feel in his soul, feel through the Force, but not something he fully consciously connects to Ahsoka, whom he would not yet have seen in Rebels and thus not fully associate the owl-like creature and his one-time Padawan because the father wiped his memory when he left Mortis. Maybe it's actually quite some time after Ahsoka dropped her blade and they have faced off on Rebels. And he knows when he sees Morai that his Padawan is watching over him. That's kind of fun to think about, that possibility, actually. Regardless, though, regardless of where we are in time, how much time has passed, whether they have faced off against each other again, this is simultaneously devastatingly sad and really, really, really hopeful. Morai soars over Anakin, reinforcing that Anakin is down below in the darkness, but she also calls to him, showing him and us that there is another way. There is another path forward that he can forge. Maybe Ahsoka's lightsaber, that blade that Anakin kept and protected and improved, as he's so proud to say, called (laughs) to him, called him there. Maybe he just discovered it while he was already there for a mission. But either way, his connection to Ahsoka leading him to that object where she last stood before entering this new phase of hiding in her life, this new phase of fighting in her life. Maybe the Empire just showed up because they had to investigate the wreckage from this crash. And he looked for evidence of his former Padawan, whom, as we know from the events of Rebels, he was not fully ready to lose. Whatever, again, the exact timing, the exact explanation, one thing is clear. Anakin and Ahsoka's connection cannot be broken. And that knowledge is what makes their fight in Rebels so fucking devastating. She is associated, as Jason will explain more later today, with the daughter. Anakin, at times with the father, at times with the son, darkness, balance, a lot of fun stuff to talk about there. The point is, balance. One cannot fully exist, totally self-actualized without the other. We know what fateful duel awaits between them. But when we see Anakin pick up and then fire, activate her lightsaber here, and that blue light shines against him against Vader's armor, you just can't help but hope, just as we do when we hear him call Ahsoka's name in Rebels on Malachor, that not all is lost. Just like Star Wars can't fully exist without this part of the story, these closing frames, these gorgeous palettes and sequences, sounds. Anakin firing up Ahsoka's saber, Mirai screeching in the sky, Anakin, Vader, receding from view in the reflection of the visor on the clone's helmet. But what did we see right before that? Anakin's eye, still visible. Just for a moment beneath the What mask. a great detail that was. I oh, love that so much. Oh, what a really, truly incredible, incredible, incredible final shot. Let's talk about Ahsoka and Rex for a bit. Yes. 
The opening montage of Episode 9 is one of the arc's most overt connections to Revenge of the Sith, a clone-centric insight into Sidious's plans. Grievous, we can see here, deliberately drew the Jedi out from the core planets to the Outer Rim, thus thinning the forces to prime Palpy's ensuing attack on the temple on Coruscant. Savvy. It's pretty chilling to see Plo Koon and Isla Secura in frames not at all dissimilar from the ones which we see in the movie as they meet their demise after the triggering of Order 66. Obi-Wan arriving just in time to save Cody in the 212 is thrilling, his hair waving sexily, his lightsaber blazing in the sky. General! (laughs) (laughs) My man looks good, Jay. But it's also harrowing. We know exactly how this is about to go. Same for Anakin and Rex's arrival to bail them out. The Jedi and the clones working in concert to to defeat the foe. Anakin at his snarky hot dog best. (laughs) You're overdoing it again. (laughs) Master, I meant no disrespect. If you want, I can hide here with you and we can let the people in the city suffer longer. Savage. Your state of helplessness really sold them on my surrender talk. Always happy to help, my friend. It wasn't always perfect for these people, but they were friends. And as Obi-Wan will say in Sith, brothers. Ah. Remember, of course, George Lucas's stated goal for the entire Clone Wars experience, a band of brothers in Star Wars. That exact idea. And Ahsoka was part of that brotherhood. They shouldn't salute me anymore, she says to Anakin, as trooper after trooper does exactly that as they pass in the corridor. Not since I left the order. What does Anakin say? It doesn't matter to them. They know what you went through for them day after day, battle after battle. Loyalty means everything to the clones. And this is, of course, painful to hear, knowing that Order 66 will turn the bulk of them into Jedi killing machines in, again, mere days. But, but that does not in any way diminish the fact that right now it's true. And that, of course, is the tragedy of it. The clones are people. They are individuals in mind, soul, and spirit, even if their bodies are all alike. Bad Batch excluded, of course. They have personalities. They have desires. They have beliefs. They have attachments, including to Ahsoka and especially for Rex. And so when Anakin leads her to see the 501st and Rex and the Legion show her their helmets painted orange and white to mirror her facial markings their way of honoring her it is honestly one of the most like moving and sweet moments in all of star wars it's so touching it is this incredibly precise specific way of acknowledging what these people meant to each other and what losing that is going to cost them we see their bond in battle. The incredible beat you moment following their epic descent down from the Mandalorian <laughs> sky down into the city. We see it in their shared response to Maul taking Jesse captive and Jesse's involvement in this arc is quite effective overall. An older trooper who's been around, formed bonds, has a signature emblem on his face and helmet, has an identity, in other words. Maul breaks through his mind like it's tissue paper, like Kylo with Poe. The swing from seeing Jesse fight to fend off Maul here to protect his brothers and then succumb so fully to the inhibitor chip is devastating. And we see that bond and that devastation most fully, of course, in the decisive moment of Order 66, which plays out in Shattered Episode 11, Part 3. Before the chips are triggered, we see the depths of trust between Ahsoka and Rex. Aboard the Venator, she shares this really heartbreaking lament 
that I think encapsulates where the Jedi went wrong. Quote, as a Jedi, we were trained to be keepers of the peace, not soldiers. But all I've been since I was a Padawan was a soldier. Mm. A really touching and reflective moment. And Rex, of course, understands he's been bred for this. I've known no other way. It gives us clones all a mixed feelings about the war. Many people wished it never happened. But without it, we clones wouldn't exist. What a terrible thing. What a terrible weight to carry that your own existence is a byproduct of a devastatingly violent war that you can only hate. Ahsoka says that maybe it wasn't all bad then. Quote, the Republic couldn't have asked for better soldiers. And this is moments before Order 66 is true. Not enough introspection. Love this. Yeah. Stormtroopers who the clones will eventually give way to are, of course, mocked by Star Wars fans, derided for being shitty shots, easy targets. But one of Clone Wars' greatest achievements is taking us not only to the moment of their true prime and glory, but the moment of their self-actualization. You know, we saw Rex and Fives and 99 and so many others discover their humanity, come to prize it just as any of us do. What makes us unique? What makes us who we are? And how can I live my life in a way that honors that? And to see them robbed of that here. Moments after the really wrenching, I'm sure it's more good news. <laughs> Masoka, <laughs> twist the knife in a little further. Come on. Is is nothing less than witnessing a mass extinction. That's what is unfolding here, not just for the soldiers who end up dead. And watching Rex because he is our lens for this, struggle. Struggle so fully as Sidious initiates Order 66. And how about, by the way, getting to see your boy? Just that one, just his lips. Just his lips and his nose, it is it. (laughs) I respect it. Execute Order 66. Good. Ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. Good. (laughs) The C-Rex here channel Absolutely every kernel of strength that he possesses, tears streaming down his face, the guns shaking in his hands, find him, find him, fives, find him. In other words, find the truth of what fives discovered. But even Rex can't fight it off any longer. It's always been horrifying to consider Order 66 and to watch the clones turn on the Jedi who they fought beside for years. But in the film, it's this quick montage, these snapshots. Here, because of Ahsoka, because of her relationship with Rex and these clones, we are in the middle of the fallout, experiencing what this felt like for all parties and the confusion and the danger. And it's magnified by the clones attacking Ahsoka as they are bearing helmets with her markings painted on them, their way of honoring her days prior. And now they're trying to kill her. Ahsoka follows Rex's clue to uncover the truth that Fives learned at the cost of his life back in Clone Wars Season 6. She gets in fittingly using Anakin's passcode. Great With the detail. help of some trusty and charming little droids, little boobies, she performs some very quick and very hasty and very rushed, put some scotch tape on that wound, brain surgery on Rex. This is real I have some notes situation here. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't do brain surgery in 30 seconds. <laughs> The next part is very nice, though, though. But there's a moment right before that reinforces our theme. As she's attempting to locate the inhibitor chip in Rex, she puts her hand on his head and softly chants, 
I am one with the force and the force is with me over and over. Just like our friend Chirut from Rogue One. And like Chirut, Ahsoka knows something that you can't learn in formal Padawan school. You have to feel it through the energy that connects all things. You don't have to be a Jedi to believe in the force. You don't have to join one side to try to do good. And most movingly, this works. She reaches Rex, who whispers the words back, a reminder that the force connects all of us, that we can all tap into it and find our place within it if we're willing to look. Love it. This, of course, may not be the exact version of events that Rex alluded to in Rebels when he's bragging about how he never turned on his Jedi, but (laughs) we'll allow it, okay? It all nets out in the same place, his chip removed, he rises to defend Ahsoka, and of course, his own humanity. Ahsoka, he tells her, and his voice is thick with sorrow. It's all of us. This is just, this is so rough to watch this unfold, but the fact that it's all of them also means that they're trying to protect all of them. And so we get a very rare set those things to stun moment in Star Wars. (laughs) Ahsoka's commitment to saving the clones' lives won't ultimately result in them living. Again, they're going to perish in the ship crash that results from Maul destroying the hyperdrive. And Ahsoka and Rex will honor them with their graves, the helmets marking their places so that the individual flourishes that they each put on their helmets. In other words, a reflection of who they each were can be visible, a tombstone for real people who lived real lives. But her desire to save them all, despite that outcome, is still pure, a reflection of her goodness and her unwillingness to fall into the strict division that, of course, war so often demands. She's not in a with-me-or-against-me mindset. She's trying to save lives and right a grave injustice. When Rex shouts at her, Those soldiers, my brothers, are willing to die and take you and me along with them. Ahsoka takes his helmet off. This is a really touching moment. And tears are streaming down his face. And she says, you're a good soldier, Rex. So is every one of those men down there. They may be willing to die, but I am not the one who's going to kill them. Heart-wrenching. Heart-wrenching. Just some really, really wonderful emotional beats that are just allowed to breathe. Yes. Yes. in, In ways that are just so memorable. You know, in the middle of this fighting, you get this exchange that is truly touching and cuts right to the core of who these people are as characters. It's it's really, you're right, it's so well-paced. And of course, not everybody has the courage to make that kind of choice, to display that kind of principle. And it's just one more reminder that Ahsoka is rare. Ahsoka is willing to find her own way forward. And when Ahsoka does snap into action. We understand that her skills are top-notch, elite level. The slice a circle in the deck to escape move, incredible. Surfing through the air without a jetpack, as she said to Rex earlier, some real Captain America shit, I don't need one, to make her way to his X-Wing, mesmerizing. She and Rex escape and survive, and in Rebels, we see how their bond has endured through time, through wars, through so many changes in both of their lives and across the galaxy. They shared something more than battle. They buried family together. They buried brothers. They buried a huge part of their history, but they unearthed something precious as well, their own humanity and their own way forward to a different kind of life. You imagine how it's going to feel to rewatch Rebels and see the moment when they embrace again now that we've seen this? I actually can't wait. When I was researching Ugh. for this, I was like, man, I actually can't wait to watch Rebels. Again. I know. I had the same experience. I really cannot 
cannot wait to soak that up again. Let's spend a few minutes here on the homie mall. We have to do it. <laughs> what a run for mall. Few characters, I think it's fair to say, better exemplify how Clone Wars so often soars where the prequels sometimes failed better than mall. A party trick in episode one, Phantom Menace, who is transformed into an absolutely essential villain in Clone Wars. It's actually amazing. It really is. It will, of course, continue to be so in Rebels and his comics, etc. And in that sense, the Rafa Trace arc in the middle of season seven does bear fruit because it put Maul on Ahsoka's radar, took our story to Mandalore for the siege and brought Maul back into a central place in the story. I killed Maul once, Obi-Wan tells Ahsoka. <laughs> Best to capture him. He doesn't seem to stay dead. A tremendous callback to the past and a tremendous setup for their future and final duel on Tatooine when Obi-Wan, after striking Maul down, cradles the death of Mirian as Maul asks about the Chosen One. A moment with added resonance after this concluding yes. Clone Wars arc where we see how Maul, still determined to upend his former master who abandoned him, attempted to disrupt Sidious's Order 66 plan by luring Anakin, the Chosen One, to Mandalore. He wanted you to bring the Jedi here, Almec tells Bo-Katan, but you brought the wrong one. Oh my God. Incredible. Unbelievable stuff. <laughs> so much history here, and that history builds to an essential experience. I was hoping for Kenobi. This is perfect. Maul says as he emerges from the shadows, his metal legs announcing his arrival before we see his face. Just energizing, rousing stuff that is so good. So and good. one of the things that really hammers home for me is like, listen, Sidious is a genius, palpy, great plan, great stuff. You really <laughs> crushed it. He had to get lucky sometimes too. He got lucky a couple times. What would uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan say about whether... There's any such thing as luck, though, you know? <laughs> Ahsoka Tano, is it? Maul says to open Phantom Apprentice, episode 10, part two in this installment. And that episode title is, of course, not only a nod to Maul's role in Phantom Menace, but to the roles that Maul and Ahsoka both occupy in the story, former apprentices, no longer by their master's side, at least in that capacity. I can't say yours is a name familiar to me. Honestly, an iconic flex here from Maul. <laughs> but also another nod, this time to Ahsoka's role in canon. This is a meta note here and a very effective one. Not every Star Wars fan knows who Ahsoka is. And of course, as we noted, she's not in the primary films aside from her one line of dialogue to Ray. But Maul is about to learn what all of the viewers who have enjoyed Clone Wars and Rebels and have spent years watching Ahsoka's growth know deep within their beings. She is a force. A character who is as elemental to the story as almost every other famous name. Maul wants to lure Kenobi, of course, but he wants something else as well. Strong same. Fort Palpatine. Take his revenge. Finally. For the way Palpatine cast him out. The moment may soon be upon us, he says, adding, if I am correct, soon the Jedi and the Republic will no longer be the controlling interest in the galaxy. Who will be? Soka says, Darth Sidious. Maul is a lot of things, but chief among them, patient, expert at biding his time, and an absolutely elite hater. 
Yeah. This guy is a fucking hater. Nurses a grudge <laughs> like the tastiest <laughs> bottle of beer. Absolutely will not and cannot ever let it go. The best deal in real estate? God. The space that Obi-Wan Kenobi inhabits in Darth Maul's head. <laughs> Remember our dude Red spent free. literally years, years in a trash heap on spider legs he built. <laughs> Flaming trash planet. After the events that unfold here, he'll spend years more waiting for another chance to grasp power. Next time through Ezra, he wants his vengeance. Even as he and Ahsoka begin to engage in battle, that discipline manifests. Not yet. But when they do engage in proper battle, it is exhilarating. A absolutely a great duel. Pantheon duel. There are a lot of things that make Ahsoka a marvelous force wielder, of course. Many of them are in her heart and in her mind, but her skills in battle with lightsaber are certainly among them. When he's interrogating Jesse, Maul says, I was cast aside. I was forgotten, but I survived and I can thrive in the chaos that is to come. That is the backdrop for his pitch to Ahsoka and their ensuing duel. He's trying to pull the full little finger here. Chaos is a ladder. Beyond the ever-present desire in his heart to thwart Palpatine, he has seen something specific. As Almec tells Ahsoka, Maul had a vision, a dream. The name came to him. Skywalker. The dark side has never been stronger, Maul says while finding newfound kinship with Dooku, now that his replacement is on ice. Also cast aside. (laughs) Soon, Maul tells his followers, the galaxy will be remade. In the chaos, we must seize what power we can. He motivates his troops with a line that sends a shiver down Mandalorian viewers' spines. Quote, it's not the way of your people to hide here in the gutters. The covert we see in Mando season one, sadly, disagrees as the siege of Mandalore we see here gives way later under imperial reign to the great purge that we have heard so much about. The clones who are here the ones Bo tells Ahsoka and Ray and Rex can't stay. After Order 66, they won't leave. And from all, it's important to say, Mandalore was never the point. It was just one more stepping stone. And all of the Mandalorians were just pawns in his game. We mentioned Littlefinger a second ago. In his throne, in the throne room, he recalls another Thrones character, quite forcefully, Joffrey. Drunk on power, but also never really caring what the throne represents beyond that very thing, power and an avenue to it. Maul is stretched out, leg kicked up, enjoying the game that he's playing no matter what the cost is. And there is something absolutely mesmerizing about his haughty demeanor. It is so fun to watch. Oh, no, you were the one I wished to speak with. Were you not cast out of your order? He's making a dark side pitch to her. and. To be frank, it's appealing. Now, to be clear, we are not saying that we think Ahsoka would consider a turn to the dark side. The alliance that she would have agreed to would have been one of necessity to move forward and try to prevail. We don't fit in, is basically his pitch. We know that their way is wrong. Let's find our own path forward together. I left voluntarily, she says to him. Yes, but you were motivated to leave by the hypocrisy of the Jedi Council. We are both tools of greater powers. I am here to bring you to justice. This is a great line from him. 
justice is merely the construct of the current power base, a base which, according to my calculations, is about to change. And then she makes her pitch as well. Help stop Sidious before it's too late. Maul's mockery of this idea also is alarmingly convincing. Too late for what? The Republic to fall? It already has. And you just can't see it. There's no justice, no law, no order, except for the one that will replace it. The time of the Jedi has passed. They cannot defeat Sidious, but together, you and I can. Real, there's no justice. (laughs) I know. And then we get another Game of Thrones echo, the old Bran. Quote, every choice you have made has led you to this moment. But Ahsoka is not Theon. She's not running from mistakes. She's running toward clarity. Any illusion about a path forward with Maul shatters along with a glass of their castle. She tells Maul she'll help him if he tells her what he wants with Anakin. And that's where he loses her for good because he tells essentially the truth that Darth Sidious has been grooming Anakin to be his apprentice. But she cannot accept it. She can't process it. She can't believe that that would be true. Maul says, to destroy, he has long been groomed for his role as my master's new apprentice. You lie. I'm afraid not. In fact, I was so certain of his fate that I orchestrated this war, which tough stuff for Mandalore in general right here, a pawn in Maul's game, to lure him here with Kenobi to kill him, thus depriving Sidious of his prized pupil. And again, we have to ask, what if? What if Ahsoka had been able to tell Anakin about this? What would he have done, armed with that knowledge? Would he have thrown himself into the darkness anyway, deliberately maybe, as he did on Mortis in season three, to avoid that coming true and unfolding, to avoid harming his loved ones after seeing a vision of what his future held? Or would he have been able to find another way to move ahead toward the light? We obviously never get to find out, at least in this part of his story. But we see in this moment, Ahsoka's utter refusal to believe that this is possible. I know Anakin, she says. This line is great. Your vision is flawed. It's just like chilling. (laughs) She wants to protect him. But not just his person, the idea of him, what he represents to her and in her life. And then Maul channels his inner Vader from Empire and really gives us a bar here. This is great. I see the Padawan needs one (laughs) last lesson and then they duel. And it is an incredible set piece bit of action, a stunning symphony of sound and light. Many echoes here from the past, more on those later in the eight. And just the right amount of shit talk. You're lucky Anakin didn't show up. The way you're fighting, you wouldn't have lasted long. Hmm. You have Kenobi's arrogance. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I love it. There are not only calls back to the past, though. Crucially, there's also the weight of what we as viewers know about the future. Because... Rebels may have occurred in the past in our lives as viewers, but it's the future in the canon chronology. This duel between Ahsoka and Maul carries huge significance because it's not ultimately the only one that we're going to see between them. In Ahsoka's novel, we get a slightly altered version of this event, but more importantly than the siege. Later in the canon chronology, 
they fight in Star Wars Rebels on Malachor in the sequence that we have talked about many times before, Twilight of the Apprentice, the two-part mm. season two finale. This fight here in Clone Wars carries much more weight knowing that that is going to come later. And that fight, relatedly, now plays totally differently because we understand the history that came before it and not only came before it, but helped inform it, we now see. Maul mocking Ahsoka in Rebels, for example, calling her a part-timer. Maul using the almost identical I'm the enemy of your enemy now logic later on that we see he already tried on her here. The hideous moment when he blinds Kanan. Tough look for my girl. The horror (laughs) that we now realize Ahsoka must carry knowing that she freed Maul here in 19 BBY. Oh my God. That's really rough. I mean, of course, it's not Ahsoka's fault. You can't control everything. You know, a butterfly flaps its wings, but that's that's a rough one. Kanan was fine afterwards. Saw in a different kind of way, you know? Yeah, saw in a different kind of way. How about another nugget? The absolute gut bunch of Maul's running away again, Lady Tano line in Rebels after what we've witnessed here now. The best stories in Star Wars function in this way. Fully self-sufficient, standalone gold, but also able to enhance our understanding of another person, place, time, or moment in the canon, how they all relate to each other. And the thing that Maul is taunting Ahsoka for is kind of essentially, and at its core, the thing from which she derives her strength. Yes. She is independent. She's motivated to follow a different course, the one she charts for herself. She's not driven by dogmatic ideology. She thinks for herself. Maul had his own course too. His die well Mandalorian line rings hideously to those who watched him kill Satine, casting Mandalore into civil war to those who read his comic, Darth Maul, son of Dathomir, and saw how Saxon and the Mandalorians who honored Maul fought for him. He was never loyal to them. And he mistakes Ahsoka's rogue spirit for that same kind of disdain. But her attachment is something that he could never understand. It's pure. It's real. It's a real bond, soul deep bond. She fights for the people she loves and the principles that she knows are right. Ahsoka does not kill Maul. As he is falling, their duel moves to this aerial apparatus at one point. She saves him, captures him. It is what Obi-Wan encouraged her to do. But there's also, we've mentioned Thrones a few times already, touch of the Ned-itis here, the madness of mercy, you know? A little bit of the Ned. <laughs> Maul's casing that the Mandalorians bring him out so in. So cool. Oh, my God. A, uh, quote, relic of a bygone era. When Mandalorians had reason to imprison you force-wielding maniacs, as Bo puts it. Casts an interesting parallel between Maul and Vader. This glimpse of Maul visible beneath an outer casing. We even hear these sounds of his breathing carrying through the screens. And Ahsoka's words to Maul later as she frees him from that casing, after Order 66 has begun to unfold, don't make me regret this. Oh my God. I mean, this is... Yeah, well... Jesus. Maul's read on Order 66, by the way, brilliant. He's odd. (laughs) Having known that a great plan was in the works, but not knowing the precise details. And 
it's an important moment to reflect again on Sidious's path and what that looked like, how the rule of two was always just a label. The thing that he always carried in his heart was the rule of one. That was the guiding principle for him. Maul never knew these details. Lord Tyrannus orchestrated, of course, the clone army for Darth Sidious, but was totally expendable. Everybody is serving a function for him always. Maul's escape, like everything else in this story, stems from choice. Ahsoka's to cease her ray trying to save Chewie-esque hold, let him go, and save Rex instead. Onward for Maul, into more horror, more violence, more destruction, and onward for us to the Halls of Learning. Jason? Yes? The time of the Jedi has passed. Sad. But the time of the Jedi Temple has just begun. So please gather the Padawan learners. Head to the Jedi Temple. Teach us everything we need to know about Morai and Mortis. In the last moments of victory and death, Morai, a female convoy bird, can be seen soaring watchfully over Darth Vader as he regards the sight of the crashed Republic ship. It was a simple and sad moment full of meaning, so let's dig into Morai and the mysterious planet Mortis and their connections to Ahsoka Tano. In season three of The Clone Wars, Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Ahsoka respond to a distress call. But upon arriving at the coordinates, they find that the other Republic ships that should be meeting them there are nowhere to be seen. And instead of a crippled vessel, there's a strange octahedral-shaped planet, Mortis. They awake sometime later to find the shuttle has been safely landed somehow. Outside, the landscape is filled with strange floating rocks and lush with plant life, but no animals. The first being they encounter though notably only Anakin can hear her voice first, is a green-haired woman. By the way, Obi's hilarious hello upon I mean, seeing her never fails to destroy me. Goals. <laughs> <laughs> hello. Indeed. Who they are soon to discover is daughter. Are you the one? She asks Anakin. Daughter isn't capable of speaking in anything but riddles, it seems. But she makes one thing clear, and that is that a being called the father has been waiting for Skywalker. Before they can get very far, however, a landslide separates Kenobi and Ahsoka from Anakin. The daughter, alarmed, says that her brother, the son, is responsible. You are in great danger, she tells Anakin, and then she floats off. That night, the son pale white with glowing red eyes, clad in black garb, appears to Kenobi and Ahsoka. He too wants to know if it is true that Anakin is the one. The two Jedi ignite their lightsabers. With a gesture, the sun snuffs them out. Then he leaps into the air, sprouts black wings, turns into a bat-like creature, and flies away. That evening, Anakin finds the father in his monastery. He, too, has a very Delphic manner of speaking. He says he wants to help Anakin discover the truth of who he is. But first, let us go to sleep. (laughs) The father, the daughter, and the son are the only three beings who dwell on Mortis, and their existence is known outside of this realm by very few. Each has an almost godlike ability to wield the Force. When Anakin, enraged, confronts the father after a vision in which his mother Shmi appears to tempt him to unleash his anger and pain and give in to the dark, the father simply reaches out, grasps the laser blade of Skywalker's lightsaber, and just holds it without any ill effect. The son, in addition to being able to snuff out lightsabers and being able to shapeshift, 
is adept at toying with minds and creating illusions to exploit the weaknesses he finds there. These beings transcend simple labels like Jedi and Sith. The son, in fact, scoffs at these terms. My children and I can manipulate the Force like no other, the father tells Anakin. So powerful did the father find his children and so dangerous we can surmise without each other to balance each other out that the father brought them to Mortis in order to imprison them. Out of balance, the daughter and the son would tear the fabric of reality to pieces. They could destroy the universe. Quote, it's only here that I can control them. A family in balance, the light and the dark, day with night, father tells Anakin. The test the father devises for Anakin to discover if he is the chosen one is cruel. The son and the daughter, he in his bat form, she is a huge white bird, hold Ahsoka and Obi-Wan, respectively, in their talons. And Anakin must choose, the father says, which one is to be saved. The other, we presume, will be torn apart. Instead, Anakin taps into Mortis's force energy, freeing his master and his apprentice and forcing the father's children to their knees. The father is sure Anakin is the one. But why does he care so much? Why is he so interested in Anakin? Simply put, he's old, health is failing, and he's just tired of dealing with these fucking kids. They are exhausting. <laughs> Everyone needs a break. He really needs it. In other words, he's hoping that Anakin will take over his role and keep his two children in balance. This, after all, has been foretold. Anakin is like, eh, no, I don't want to do that. Pretty bum deal, honestly, being trapped in a gilded space prison with two eternally feuding siblings. <laughs> they go to leave, but the son is not done. He then unleashes a string of shenanigans aimed at luring Anakin to the dark side and using Skywalker's power to break free of his father's control to rule the galaxy. He kidnaps Ahsoka and places her deep under the influence of the dark. Later, after the son accidentally murders his sister with the dagger of Mortis, the father transfers her life force into Ahsoka, saving the Padawan's life. And this is important. That same season, a few episodes later, we see Convery, small owl-like birds, for the first time on the Trandoshan moon, Waska, where former Jedi Padawans are being hunted by the Trandoshans for sport. The first time, Ahsoka is walking up a large vine, and there's a convoy in her path that flits away. The next time, same episode, in a quick, seemingly throwaway scene, we see a convoy join two others on that very same vine, and they sidle up to each other and, and kind of cuddle. It's important to note, before we go any further, that morai in Greek means the fates. The birds make another appearance in season five of Clone Wars, the episode Bound for Rescue. In that episode, the dastardly but always entertaining space pirate Hondo Anaka captures Ahsoka, and we see the bird inside his ship. Fast forward again to Rebels. We see the bird in the season two episode, The Mystery of Chopper Base. Ezra is lounging on the sand, deep in thought. A convoy appears high in the sky above, and then Ahsoka walks into the frame. Now, by the time of Rebels, the coloring of the birds is easier to see and more pronounced. Green and white, the same coloring the daughter had. The most dramatic appearance of the bird is in the Rebels season two finale, Twilight of the Apprentice part two. After Ahsoka's fight with Darth Vader, we have no idea what has happened to her. We see the Sith Lord limp away and a convoy fly past. In season three of Rebels with Ahsoka presumed dead, Sabine can be seen with a drawing of a convoy on her left 
shoulder pauldron. Clearly, at least one member of the ghost squad considered the creatures to be Ahsoka's symbol. And each time we see the bird, it's during a moment when Ahsoka is being challenged, is experiencing some important life change. Finally, in the mind-bending and absolutely beautiful episode, World Between Worlds, so good. Ezra encounters Morai, the convor, in that titular mystical force realm. Hey, I've seen you before, he says. Whenever Ahsoka was around, you were always close by. And the bird is sitting over a gate, hooting delightedly. Hoot, hoot, hoot. Through that gate, Ezra witnesses Ahsoka's titanic battle with Vader from Twilight of the Apprentice Part 2. And at the crucial moment where it seems like she might perish, he reaches out and pulls her into the world between worlds realm, saving her life. Morai, you're here, Ahsoka says when she sees the convoy and she flits delightedly onto Ahsoka's arm. And at that moment, we hear the voice of the daughter say, I am daughter. And then Ahsoka says, she's an old friend. I owe her my life. So if we had any doubts before this scene, one of the best episodes, Rebels, this seals it. Morai is a manifestation of the daughter whose life energy flows through Ahsoka, part guardian, part symbol. Perhaps her presence above Vader means Morai in some way was watching over Anakin too. Ah, I love it. Beautiful. It's great. It's really like great threads. Crushing it, Filoni. Seeing Morai in the mural... Ugh, incredible stuff. Mal? Yeah. I see the Padawan needs one last lesson. Or maybe eight? <laughs> so let's roll like BB-8 through eight of our favorite insights and observations from the Clone Wars. Concluding arc, lightning around Sal, you go first. All right. We're going to try to move quickly here. It'll shock you all to hear we're running long. Number one. <laughs> there are more Easter eggs in these four episodes than there are stars in the galaxy. It's an unbelievably rich text. We're going to hit on a few of our favorites today. Unsurprisingly, given Filoni's stewardship of Rebels, a lot of them connect to that show specifically. Jason just talked about some of them. One of the other most thrilling ones comes very quickly in Old Friends Not Forgotten, when in the opening seconds, we are treated to a glimpse of the boy who would grow up to become Kanan Jarrus. In the old Jedi Zoom hologram session, we see Jedi Master Deepa Balaba, and next to her, her young apprentice, the Padawan, Caleb Doom. We know, of course, from Kanan's Rebels arc that he survived the Jedi Purge and entered into a life of hiding until revealing his force-wielding ways to fight for the Spectres and, in time, train his own Padawan. Ezra, ever heard of him? <laughs> Kanan survived because of his master who sacrificed herself so that Caleb could flee. A source of guilt and shame for him that haunted him for the bulk of his days. Briefly seeing Kanan here, Caleb at the time in this arc is particularly poignant given the Maul centric nature of these final Clone Wars episodes, because as we mentioned, Maul will blind Kanan on Malakor Whoops. in Twilight of the Apprentice. Whew. Number two, it's impossible to think about Kanan and rebels without thinking about an absolutely essential member of the ghost, the droid chopper, AKA chop. And in these yes. final Clone Wars episodes, we meet a droid named CH-33P Cheap, in other words, for short, who reminds us powerfully of Chopper, C-1 
M10P. Cheap and Chopper are not the same model, but they're both C-series astromechs, meaning they both bear certain unmistakable similarities, like their antenna, their sensors, their handy little arms, which I don't know why they did away with those. Those are great. With little <laughs> hands on the end that once led me to select Chopper as a key member of my Star Wars Quidditch team, and I stand by it. <laughs> they also sound alike. If you recognize some of Chopper's dulcet tones in Cheap's chirps, that's no accident. Chopper, of course, was voiced by Rebel showrunner Dave Filoni, who lent his beeps and boops to Cheap, Dave Filoni. Tragically, after Cheap, R7A7, RGG1 help Ahsoka and Rex flee, Cheap and GG are murdered by the clones aboard the Venator. And I just want to say, like, needless slaughter. Every time droids are, are killed, it is really crazy violent. Like, the heads explode and stuff. I, I, Huge holes in them. It's awful. I reject it. <laughs> Appalling. <sighs> Nose for cheap. Sweet cheap and Gigi. They didn't have to help. Ahsoka had the pleasure of knowing both cheap and chop, though she carried different lightsabers when she fought alongside each. Ahsoka's sabers play a really special role in this final arc, as we've discussed, with Anakin gifting the repaired blades to his one-time Padawan, who had previously forsworn them. But there are a couple crucial things here to note. First, a small canonical change regarding those blades. And then second, an origin story. So first, the change. We realize in Old Friends Not Forgotten that Anakin has, as Jason noted, kept these blades that Ahsoka left behind when she left the Jedi Order, and that, in his mind, he has improved them. I took care of them, he says. They're good as new. Maybe a little better. I love a signature Anakin boast. They manifest, interestingly, as blue. This is really effective in the show because it's the color of Anakin's own saber, a color associated with the Jedi Guardians. But remember, throughout the five seasons of Clone Wars in which Ahsoka was a protagonist, her primary blade was green, the color of the Jedi Consulars, while her Shoto blade was this unique greenish yellow. In her 2016 eponymous novel, which we should note is canon, Ahsoka's still carrying those green blades when she battles Maul. Though in the novel, Anakin is also the one who gives them back to her, so they're green there, still not blue. The nature of casting them aside in the novel is different in a key way, too. She buries them on Mandalore where she and Rex are in the novel as Order 66 unfolds. They build false graves to fake their deaths, and Rex, inhibitor chip out at that point as well, then split up, go to the Outer Rim, begin their life undercover. If you're wondering how Ahsoka goes from either that book or show moment to wielding the one-of-a-kind white blades that we see her with in Rebels, the answer also comes in her novel, where we see her craft the beta version of those white blades after beating the sixth brother, an empire inquisitor, and exploding his lightsaber in his face, killing him first, and then taking his kyber crystals, kyber, kyber, <laughs> which <laughs> had called out to her from across the abyss. Those crystals had been bled to serve the dark side, and Ahsoka heals them. When she does, they manifest as those pure white blades. One more step on her journey, her unique path to becoming Ahsoka the White. On StarWars.com's Rebels Recon Inside Fire Across the Galaxy, 
Dave Filoni explained that Ahsoka's white blades, quote, reflect her non-affiliation. And of course, for us as viewers, they also reflect something else, her utterly singular presence. Number four, from that white saber to the dark saber, and some of our favorite connections to other Mandalore-centric storytelling across Star Wars from the Legion present in these episodes. First, we get our last Scenes with Bo-Katan leading her forces to retake Mandalore from Maul and Almak. She is, of course, the last known wielder of the ancient Mandalorian weapon, the Darksaber, which was given to her by Sabine Wren of the Ghost. What becomes of Bo is, at this point, unknown, but her fate is likely a grim one, considering that the Saber's current owner is Moff Gideon of the Mandalorian fame. Not what you want. Not great. At Bo-Katan's side, battling to reclaim their home, or the Night Owls, the elite Mandalorian warriors who broke with Death Watch after Maul murdered their leader, Previsla. Gar Saxon, one of the Mandalorians that stayed loyal to Maul, we see him taken into Republic custody after the battle. Years later, he would become the Empire's man on Mandalore, their governor. Wielding the Darksaber, he engaged in a desperate one-on-one fight with Sabine, who frankly whooped his ass. <laughs> He was then shot dead by Sabine's mother, Ursa, after he tried to shoot Sabine in the back. Cool guy. Ursa, also present in these stories, the future leader of Clan Wren and a member of the Night Owls. We last see her in Rebels, pledging allegiance to Bo-Katan, Darksaber high above Bo-Katan's head. And what about the metal coffin used to contain Maul? Bo mentions that it's ancient, crafted in the time when the Mandalorians were at a state of constant war with the Jedi, and it was designed to hamper their abilities. Could this coffin, of course, we don't know what the purge is that is referenced so much in the Mandalorian. We've seen the siege, but we don't know what the purge is. Clearly a separate event. Could this coffin be the source of the large cache of Beskar steel, which the client pays Mando in? Interesting to think about. Mando! Mando! (laughs) Number five. In Old Friends Not Forgotten, we get a brief shout-out for one mighty unfortunate Star Wars character, Shakti, the Tagruta Jedi who'd overseen the development of the clones on Kamino. And a small (laughs) note here missed the fact that there were secret chips being implanted into every clone that would ultimately lead them to turn against the Jedi and kill them. Woof. Tough stuff for Shakti. <laughs> Tough look for our gal. When Obi-Wan and Anakin learn about the attack on Coruscant, Anakin asks, what about the Chancellor? And Obi responds, Shakti has been sent to protect him, but Master Windu has lost contact with her. Ah, things did not go so well for Shakti on this mission. She lost a duel with Grievous and was taken captive. And in Revenge of the Sith movie, an initial deleted scene actually showed Grievous kill her in front of Anakin and Obi-Wan. The script later changed and then we got another deleted death scene in the second one which was later confirmed as canon in the 2016 reference book Star Wars Galactic Atlas. Shakti is meditating during the Order 66 purge when Yoda would approve. Let me just meditate on this for a hot second here. When the newly anointed Darth Vader walks up and kills her. Not what you want for our gal. We should note, by the way. Head on a swivel. Yeah. (laughs) Her death scene in the Tartakovsky version, Clone Wars 2003 miniseries. Wow. 
riveting stuff. She's a central figure in that. Number six. Another new old friend with a wordless cameo in this set of episodes is Dryden Voss. Hell yeah. Introduced to the fandom in Solo, a Star Wars story. In Phantom Apprentice, Maul tells the syndicate leaders to go into hiding and three faces appear by a hologram, including that of Dryden Voss, the future figurehead of Crimson Dawn. Crimson Dawn was a member of the Shadow Collective, a larger criminal organization run by Maul, so it makes sense that the two baddies would go way back. Voss and Maul clearly enjoyed a long and fruitful partnership with Voss running logistics from his beautiful luxury (laughs) yacht and Maul overseeing the operations from behind the scenes as revealed at the end of Solo. A little less than a decade later in the Star Wars timeline when Kira kills Voss and assumes the position for herself. Mm, My dragon queen, still crushing it. Number seven. Crushing it. This set of four episodes also contains a number of parallels and callbacks to some of our favorite Star Wars battle moments. To name... Really just a few of many. There are a pair of ship crashes approximating the emergency landing on Coruscant at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, which happens around the same time as these do in the Star Wars timeline after Anakin and Obi-Wan escape Grievous's ship with the Chancellor. The elevator fight between Bo and Saxon happens around the same time that Obi-Wan and Anakin enjoy some adventures in an elevator of their own, of course. Maul elbows Ahsoka just like he does to Qui-Gon and Phantom Menace. And... He carves a absolute reign of terror through a corridor, real, real echoes of Vader in the iconic Rogue One scene, complete with an identical slam of a foe using the force into the ceiling. Maul and Ahsoka also use lightsabers in, of course, a throne room, and he offers his hand, extending it in partnership, asking her to join him. Not going to claim that there's the same emotional resonance there as there is with Kylo and Rey in Last Jedi, but still some structural parallels. What's more, Ahsoka and Rey, of course, both freeze a ship trying to fly away. Several battle scores also overlap in these episodes, like the echoes of Duel of the Fates as Maul and Ahsoka are fighting in the air. You get that chanting. (laughs) And finally, we get another meta parallel here with stuntman Ray Park. This is really cool. Performing Maul's movements here via mocap. Lauren Mary Kim doing mocap for Ahsoka, which gives Maul's character the same balletic grace as in the live action Phantom Menace duel. If you think he activated his lightsaber in the exact same way, it's because he literally did. And number eight. Finally, some recognizable callbacks came via dialogue in these episodes. It's a trap, you fools. The tactical droid tells his charges when Anakin in enacts his ruse on Urbana. Where we were that one before? I don't know. Someplace with the delicious smell of fried fish. Fry them uh, up. <laughs> squeeze a little lemon on them. Akbar. <laughs> In Shattered, before Ahsoka frees Maul, but after Order 66 has been given, he tells her, surely you have felt it, the voices crying out the death, which of course reminds us of Obi-Wan and A New Hope after the destruction of Alderaan. I felt a great disturbance in the force as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. I fear something terrible has happened. The note of having Rex go out of his way to note that Ahsoka is not a Jedi. Nice way to kind of let Yoda off the hook for... Yes. (laughs) Massively whiffing on Luke being the last Jedi. Great stuff. Jason? Yes. I wish we had more time to talk. But I have... Urgent information. Is it urgent? urgent? <laughs> For both of you. It's about today's winner. Every episode, we like to honor the character who rallied the troops, advanced the cause, and today, 
the winner of our Medal of Bravery is... Of course. Can only be. Ahsoka. Ahsoka Tano. Clone Wars is about a lot of things, but from the very start to the closing moments of season seven, Ahsoka Tano was at the heart of the show, establishing herself as one of the most indelible Star Wars characters in the series' history, and also an inextricable part of Anakin's journey as personality, and thus the Skywalker saga. We meet Ahsoka when she's a hotshot Padawan. Snips, Anakin calls her. Come on, Snips. (laughs) And we have the real privilege of watching her mature and evolve into, eventually, Ahsoka the White, who will leave us at the end of Rebels to go find Ezra Bridger. The final season of Clone Wars in conjunction with her novel, which takes place after Order 66, but flashes back to the moments when it was happening, helped to flesh out an essential part of Ahsoka's timeline for us. Her final moments with Anakin, the way she cemented her bond with Rex, her duel with Maul, and the involvement in the siege of Mandalore, and the choices she made to become, in essence, Ahsoka the Grey. All you need to do to see how much Ahsoka means to Dave Filoni is... Check out his Instagram. Look at his tweets from recent weeks where he has followed up every episode with a really incredible hand drawing of... Yeah, it's beautiful. Ahsoka, some sort of Ahsoka-centric illustration. Really lovely. George Lucas was a foundational part of Ahsoka's initial creation. We talked about that a lot on her character study episode. But Filoni is really her steward, her caretaker, and his love and admiration for her as a character has translated into one of the most remarkable creations in all of Star Wars and really all of fantasy and sci-fi. In an August 2018 interview with comicbook.com, Filoni said, quote, I can't imagine not being involved in some way with what would happen to her. He was speaking at the time about the conclusion of Star Wars Rebels and the prospect of future Star Wars storytelling centering on what happens next in Ahsoka's life. But clearly, the same spirit carried him here, concluding the Clone Wars by focusing on a one-time Padawan who, despite leaving the Jedi Order, still became, to us, a master in every way that really counts. Here's to Ahsoka. Well, friends, you're lucky Anakin didn't show up. The way you're potting, you wouldn't have lasted long. Just as we keep telling Isaac Lee and Zach Cram our indispensable producer and researcher. But Jason, we have a special thank you today, don't we? Steve? Super producer Steve Allman, pinch hitting for Icy Isaac Lee. Thank you, Steve, for your incredible efforts in this regard. We hope that all of you enjoyed this week's episode, that you're staying healthy and safe out there. And we'll be back next week, as promised, for our Saga Book 2 chats. Until then, remember, Master Kenobi always said, There's no such thing as luck. Kanan? What happened? Ahsoka. Uh, Ah. Oh. Blinded me. Maul? Maul? Darth Maul? Yeah. It's, ah, it's fighting him and he, I, I can't see now. He, I, my eyes are destroyed. Ah, that's tough. I, Kanan, I know this isn't a great time, but I just need you to know. I kind of, I kind of let them all free when I had him captured. Okay, let me, what? Well, I can't, I, so I can't hear you. This place is falling apart. We have to get out of here. What did you say? 
Yeah, he's kind of let Maul uh, free a couple years ago, and I guess he got out into deep dungeon. Why? I can't. I can't hear you. <laughs>